It's a new game, and the DM wants you to describe your character for the table. You open your mouth to speak, just a little nervous, but the DM cuts you off. Show, don't tell. You cannot just say the name of your class. You can't say any numbers or speak in any game terms, like attribute labels, such as strength or wisdom. Describe what we see as you walk into the tavern, preferably in a way that illuminates the essence of your character. Go. Character creation is an obsession of mine. Sitting in my D&D Beyond character builder are 66 characters, three of which I have ever played, and I can tell you that I've deleted more than that over the past six months or so. My thinking on the topic has evolved over time and continues to change. I'll offer this up as my thinking on the subject at the moment, through the lens of three crucibles. Fluff meeting crunch, concept meeting campaign, and character meeting the party. This is Anatomy of a Campaign. I need to set parameters. This is too big a topic. I think you could write a book or maybe books, plural, on the subject. I didn't say they'd be good books, but there are so many implications for character creation and tabletop RPGs. I'm going to focus just on D&D 5th edition where that's important. Not to say a lot of this isn't applicable to other games, just that when it's specific, I'll exclusively be talking about D&D. And I should note, I think D&D is on the low to mid-end of the spectrum in terms of character creation process. Many other games have more important systems for character creation. It's more embedded within what they do and how the game plays out. I'm also only talking about player character creation. NPCs are a whole other kettle of wax, ball of fish, container of something. I'm going to try and stay away from the psychological angles, but I may not be able to help myself. I secretly think you can analyze someone based on the characters they make. I'm almost definitely wrong, and doing so feels like both an invasion of privacy and a bit rude. I see character creation as a game in and of itself. When I create a character, even just in my head, I feel like I'm playing D&D. I do it to relieve stress roll up some stats, either for real or virtually, and then work through the exercise of turning that into a character. Some people hate creating characters. The process is too fiddly or not fulfilling enough. For them, playing a character is the only thing that feels like D&D, and that's fine. Better than fine. But I see it as a game, and one I like playing. So please take that into consideration as you listen to me pontificate. Always good to know where the speaker is coming from. I also see building characters totally on your own as a very different game than building them together as a group. I far prefer building them together. The sharing of ideas and collaboration is thrilling for me. Love rolling up characters together. It takes me back to childhood, sitting around a table and enjoying the company of friends. For me, this is nostalgia-inducing. It is happiness made manifest. To start, I'd like to talk about Crunch and Fluff. Crunch is the numbers, and fluff is the story bits. Crunch is that you have a 17 strength. Fluff is that your parents abandoned you to a troop of elven carnies. Coming up with a character either begins with crunch or fluff. Neither way is wrong or right. And I think most folks playing long enough have done it both ways. I mean, I went to college. If you roll the dice first, you're leading with crunch. Even if you get to place them where you like, the zero moment for you was seeing an array of numerical statistics before exploring anything else. I also think that if you start by picking a class, that's crunch too. There are no classes in the real world. That's a prefab set of choices rolled into a ball. 
If, however, you have an idea for a hero from the haunted woods, and from there you choose druid or ranger or paladin with an outlander background, then you've begun with an idea, not the rules. So that's fluff. Regardless, the next decision you are making is likely translating from one side of that coin to the other. If you start with fluff, you will almost immediately begin considering the aligned crunch to make it real. And if you start with crunch, you will quickly extrapolate that into fluffy story elements. If for no other reason, it helps you make further crunch choices. So the first crucible is taking your entry point and mashing it with the other side. This fusion of art and science is the essence of character creation, where numbers and rules meet idea and story. That is what makes a tabletop RPG a tabletop RPG. Video games do not do that. War games do not do that. Even writing a book doesn't do that. Older iterations of the game tried to force you to start with crunch. They made you roll your stats in order. Ever seen someone rolling stats and saying, I hope we get the numbers to play a paladin? Rather quickly, the game realized that giving players more control over their creative process made things more fun. Back in the day, you didn't get to play a paladin, a ranger, a druid, an assassin, unless you had the necessary scores to meet the criteria to play that character class. Sometimes, though, you want to play what you want to play. I think they did this because crunch is a more stable basis. It's hard making a bad character in 5e with just the crunch. Conversely, if you have a very specific idea of something and try to make it work within the crunch, you might struggle to fulfill your vision. If I'm being honest, I think I make fulfilling characters because I deeply understand the crunch. Even when I approach things from a fluffy perspective, my transition from fluff to crunch is solid because I know what makes things work. You know, I wrote that line. Saying it out loud was weird. But that is a tenet of mine. The character has to work. D&D is not intended to be a game of incompetence. For a lark, it might be fun, but over time, you want your character to be able to do the thing they do and do it well. So playing a clumsy or absent-minded wizard is awesome. Playing a stupid one is not. That's not to say you need an 18 or greater intelligence, not at all. But for D&D, I'd say 14 is the lowest I'd go on a class's main attribute. I generally want a 16 if the intent is that they are good at what they do. You want to see people not have fun? Have all their spells or attacks fail about half the time or more. That's what can happen if you treat your main stat as a dump stat. Here's an exercise for understanding the interchange between crunch and fluff. Clear your mind of any ideas. Roll 4d6, drop the lowest, in order. You know, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. That's your new character. You cannot switch those stats around. Maybe some ideas start to immediately percolate. Don't lock down anything yet, but take it all in. Take a moment and consider what you have. Think of the options. What classes come to mind? What races? Remember, this is an exercise. Limitations fuel creativity. What other creative ideas spark for this character? Maybe they have an illogical assortment of attributes. What might that suggest? Is the array of stats not sparking with you at all? Do it again. See how you feel about a different set. The idea is to start with a truly random set of scores and take a wide-open approach to see what germinates. And, of course, it can happen in the reverse. That's where you have a concept unconstrained by game factors. This is embodied in an exercise where folks try to stat out a famous fictional character. For example, how might you port Wolverine or Sherlock Holmes or Harry Dresden into a D&D game? The critical piece here is that the concept comes first. I think doing it this way is much harder, but still valid, and if this is the way your brain works, then go with it. 
There was this thing Stanley used to do in the letters section of Marvel Comics way back in the day. If you found a disparity and you wanted to write him a letter, he asked that you also come up with a way to explain the apparent disparity. For example, if the Silver Surfer was referred to as Norrin Robb in the last issue, you could write Stan and explain that Reed Richards' Universal Translator must have glitched and mistakenly called the Surfer Norman Robb when we all know he's Norrin Rad. The exercise took an error and, within the logic of the system, attempted to find a way to explain why the bug was actually a feature. It's the same with Fluff and Crunch. You're trying to meld two different, potentially incongruous things, but do it in a way that explains any disparity. In fact, that takes the disparity and makes it something new and interesting. If the first crucible of character creation is Crunch meeting Fluff, the second decision point should be character meets scenario. But wait, what about my race, my equipment, my detailed backstory? You won't be able to stop thinking about that, but when you have the first kernel of an idea, you need to actively vet it against the scenario. What kind of game is this going to be? What sort of group? Actually, this framework can come first, but this step is vital once you have the makings of an idea, which is all you'd have at this point. Will your holy warrior of light and justice fit in with the Thieves' Guild-oriented city campaign? Or an escaped prisoner campaign? One of the best ways to imagine this is by picturing a harrowing situation in media res. You are a prisoner of war being shipped back to the Empire to be sold as a slave. During a tumultuous storm, your ship is destroyed, and you wash up on the shore of a strange island. Spread up and down the beach are the bodies of those less fortunate than you, some other survivors, and debris from the ship. Stunned, you look up to see a volcano in the distance with a line of red magma running down the black rock face. Before you can process that, there is... A horrific roar as the distant trees crack and collapse. Something is coming. Something big. That's the starting place. Will this change your character? What makes them special within this scenario? Who were they in the war? Does your concept still work? If the answer is no, better to know it now and do not try to force it. Better to play a character that fits than to think the campaign will bend to fit your character. If you built a purely city-based character and were hit with that scenario, you'd have some deep thinking to do to decide if you wanted to play that character as a fish out of water or move on to something a little more applicable. The key question you want to ask is, does my character have a place in the environment suggested by the campaign? If no one is offering this up, you need to step back and ask the DM what the campaign themes will be or ask the players what kind of group you guys want to have. Do that. It's vital. Before we press onwards, let me point out we are making a big presumption that this character is being designed to work with an actual game. As I mentioned, most of the PCs I've created were created in a vacuum. If you're building characters on a lark, I suggest you have a game theme and group in mind. I think it's fun creating characters. But this step can't be skipped. Even if it's just you making it up, you need to fit the character into the group. You see the interplay between character, setting, and group. I guess because I enjoy making characters so much, and I do consider every character a custom job, it's for this reason I balk when I hear of players wanting to bring an existing character into a new game. I can't think of a time this has worked well. Back in the old days, this was a red flag for someone who had an unbelievable array of stats that they absolutely for sure rolled. But these days, so many groups use point by or standard array, it really doesn't seem to matter. 
So often I find this is someone who has essentially one character they play. Red flag number two for me. This is a game of creativity, flexibility, and problem solving. Try something new. Stretch. More importantly, I need you to be part of this game, which is hopefully a little different than the other game where that character was made and played. We want your character to be a good fit here. And here comes the dreaded background question. How detailed should it be? How long and involved? What are the types of things that you should include? First, I'd say it's insane to write a backstory without knowing the campaign world. Yet, so often, this is exactly what happens. DMs want the backstory, or players have an urge to write something. That's all well and good, better than good, but it will become a potential issue if that backstory does not tie you to the world. And by world, I mean the part of it you're gaming within. I had an experience a few years back where I created three different PCs for a DM's campaign. The first character had an insanely detailed backstory that never mattered in play. Not a single syllable of that write-up mattered for the game. Midway through, the DM wanted more. I think as a means to just get us more involved, and I appreciate that, so I wrote a detailed history for an order the PC belonged to. And I mean detailed. Again, not a single syllable mattered. Second character had a two-sentence backstory. Not out of spite, more out of a desire to make it about the character in play versus the character in my head. The third one went back to a long backstory, and when I was asked for more, I just re-forwarded the original write-up. I actually don't think they read it. And it's fine that they didn't. When I do it on my own, unprompted, the DM is free to take the hooks I provide, or not. To link that story to the campaign, or not. Because the campaign is not about you. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. The integration of a PC into a campaign theme or group concept is one of those things that is best illustrated by when it's done wrong. Let's say our campaign theme will center around a major city and the conflict between the powerful merchant princes and the Thieves' Guild. The party decides to be part of the Thieves' Guild, asking if the Underworld can be the good guys fighting a resistance against the lawful evil merchant princes. The DM agrees, as does hopefully everyone else, and we're off to the races. Then Tommy shows up. Tommy loves Han Solo, but not really. He loves Han Solo before he softened up and decided to join the Rebels. He just wants to play the scoundrel and always needs to know what's in it for me. Because that was the fun part for him in Star Wars, where Han kills Greedo and won't help unless he's paid. Everyone else is trying to fight the Merchant Princes because they're heroes. They understand that. They're reluctant thieves or thieves with a heart of gold. This disparity can also manifest when a DM places non-standard constraints, such as a very low magic world. Can I play a wizard? Yes, but remember, it's low magic, so you'll get in trouble if people know you use magic and researching spells will be very hard. Great. Except it's not, because chances are the player and DM have agreed in principle, but not in actuality. Because the player is thinking they will still be able to play a normal wizard with some minor role-playing bits, and the DM ends up burning the character at the stake before they reach level 2. I exaggerate to make a point. Or the player loves steampunk and plays a gunslinger. Except the DM says no guns, and so they still build a gunslinger, but do it with magic or crossbows or what have you. And it becomes a suboptimal experience on all sides, because we're just trying to force it as opposed to playing the game we're in. The backstory is about A, tying your character into the campaign world, B, setting up possible plot hooks for the DM, and C, explaining who the character is, in that order of importance. 
Also, my current attitude is that background should be short and efficient, less than a page, at least at first level. Leave white space so you can accommodate ideas as they come up in play. The more rigid you are about the game ahead of the game, the less likely you can take advantage of real storytelling opportunities later on. Like I said, be in the game you're in. And DMs, make sure the game is accommodating and only say no if it really matters versus just not meeting your initial vision. If the setting can still work, truly consider adding what the player wants into the setting. Because it's not your world, it's your group world too. The third and final crucible is player versus player. Not PvP combat, but how do you work with the group? In prior editions, there was a need to fill party roles. That's not quite as mandatory as it used to be. You know, fighter, magic user, cleric, thief, the tank, the caster, the trap slash lockpicker, and the healer. You can't go wrong with that setup, but it can be a little dull. With skills, feats, backgrounds, etc., it's very possible in 5th edition to just let everyone play whatever and still be a functioning party. Before we get there, however, ask yourself a much simpler question. Will this character work with other people? How will they function when they are the sidekick? If the answer is, they're no one's sidekick, scrap the character. Seriously. There are no stars in D&D. Most games are four to five players. Do the math. The best you've got is 25% of the time. You're part of an ensemble, and most of the time, someone else is in center stage. Endeavor to see the character as part of a group of equals. And obviously, that's easier if you know what the other players are planning. For this reason, I love the concept of creating your characters together. Characters can be related, have intertwined backstories, conflicts. Games like Dungeon World call for characters to have bonds with each other. These bonds are critical in character creation. Because in the end, for the game to work, the characters need to be complementary. Old school D&D needed that complementariness, if that's a word, to be a function of their abilities. The tank, the trap finder, the caster, and the healer. You needed it all to get through the dungeon. Fifth edition spreads those roles among many other classes, so now it's possible to field an effective party without having to fit these rigid roles. One thing that hit me while playing in a recent game is that the modern roles are more about group leadership. There's not really a leader in the modern D&D game. Back in the day, there was the caller. But today, no one wants to be the leader, and no one wants anyone else to be the boss of them. So group leadership falls to, well, the group. Because a lot of folks are familiar with it, take a look at Critical Role Season 2. And when I say this, I mean the beginning. I think things have maybe changed. I'm not completely up to speed. You have the responsible ones, Ford and Caleb. You have the voice of bluntness, Beauregard, and the silly ones, Jester and Knot. I also think that the uh, the characters of Mollymock and Caduceus fit in what I'll call the free agent format. It's kind of hard to pin down, though no less compelling. But what they've done is it's a nice balance, which I think they've found. Take away the silly side of things, and it's not as much fun. Also, it gives the straight men, Ford and Caleb, something to react to. Bo is like a free agent, sometimes calling people on their BS, but sometimes being reckless and getting them into trouble by being too blunt. This personality dynamic is important. The improvisational nature of those actors helps them figure out how to approach a scene, because They are three-dimensional and so good at what they do, sometimes the serious ones do something reckless and the silly ones pick up on it and switch roles for the moment. 
Think of the scenes where Not has to yell at Caleb. Theirs is a socially skewed game, meaning they prioritize social interactions over anything else. I know they have combat and exploration, all that great stuff. This is not a judgment. But the bulk of the time and effort and focus and what everyone really loves about that show are the social aspects. And their roles within the group are based on those social interactions. If you run a more combat-heavy game, then the roles probably should be more classically combat-based in terms of the tank and so forth. If it's more of an exploration game, I imagine the roles should pivot around various knowledge and survival skills. Who's the person that can translate languages? Who's the person that can actually explore in the wilderness? Who's the one that's good at finding traps? That kind of thing. In character creation, the goal is not to nail all that down. You can't. You don't really know what the character will be like. I was a player in a recent game, and I was intending to play something a little more clueless. But the other characters were very indirect and a bit flighty. That's an inside joke. The role I needed to fill was someone more direct and on point. So I adapted my approach, and rather than be someone missing the point, he became someone who could only see the point, and became flustered at the niceties of social interaction. It gave me a personality to roleplay, but helped the party get on with getting on as well. Bottom line, pay attention to the other players, how they are portraying their character, what role they can fill, and adjust what you're doing as a means towards developing the team rather than a single acting player. And talk about it. Metagame, if you must. Take an interest in the other player's story. Pay attention when it's the other player's turn. Look for opportunities to give them a moment if you can. Have the characters dialogue with each other. As a DM, I love when the PCs talk amongst themselves because that frees my brain up to figure out what's coming next. Some good player-on-player -player interaction is one area I think gets little discussion. Don't look to win in those situations, or be right, or come out looking the coolest. Most ensemble TV shows are about the main cast interacting with one another. Sure, there are guest stars and so forth, but the camaraderie, conflicts, and funny moments mostly come from the main players interacting with each other. So those are the three crucibles I put my characters through during the creation process. Crunch and fluff which is achieving your vision while ensuring the character is effective. Concept and campaign, which is about tying them back to the campaign setting, its themes, and direction to make sure they fit. Character and group. Finalizing the character with the other characters in the team. How do they serve this ensemble? What's their role as part of that larger structure? This has been Anatomy of a Campaign. Quick thank you for the shout-out on Twitter, Stefan. You inspire me as well. I am at AnatomyCamp on Twitter, and the subreddit is r slash anatomy of a campaign. I leave you with a great quote from Henry James to ponder regarding character. What is character but the determination of incident? What is incident but the illustration of character? Thank you for listening. <laughs>